0: My name is Mike Alford. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here and I want to provide just a very brief bit of background to what I'm going to call Transition Sunday. First of all, if you have missed the last couple of weeks and you're looking around and you don't see a tall slender man with snow white hair, TMAC, as we have affectionately called him, has finished his temporary assignment. Everything's fine and he is in good health and he is now uh, with his wife in, in Topeka, one of the few Sundays probably that he gets to worship together with her. Uh, this week, on, uh, on Friday, because they were waiting for some good weather to do so, uh, Todd and his, and his family arrived in Independence And and we're moved in, and he is with us this morning. We're glad to see you, Todd. Welcome. During this last year, there have been several firsts, and one of those has to do with the decision of this church body to join the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, Southern Baptist Convention, another of those has to do with a change in senior pastors. That was a, a time of crisis, not of chaos, but certainly of crisis for us, and uh, the director of missions for this area of the Southern Baptist Convention, Marty McCord, stepped in immediately, now, this was before we had voted be, to become a Southern Baptist church and offered the full assistance of, of those that were connected with his office or those with whom he had influence and, and, and helped us, introduced us to several different pastors, including TMAC, and was just really helpful and said, we don't care whether or not you join the Southern Baptist Convention We are brothers in Christ, and you just tell us how we can help you, and we're going to help you. We're going to be there for you. Marty is here this morning, and he's going to bring our message, and so I want to introduce you to him and ask him if he'll come to the pulpit at this time. Let's welcome Marty McCord. Thank you.
1: it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, you know, I'm Director of Missions for Southeast Kansas Baptist Association, and our association covers 10 counties of Southeast Kansas, and now has about 42 churches in it. And so my role is to serve those 42 churches and help them to work together for the cause of Christ. You know, all, all the you know Southern Baptist Association is is a group of churches who have, who have willingly chosen to work together for the cause of Christ. And uh, our purpose, our goal is to see people come to know Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's things that we can do together as churches. There's bigger things we can do by working together than if we, you know, work separately. And so, you know, my, one of my roles is to help churches work together in significant ways for the advancement of the gospel. And, uh, and to serve pastors. You know, I, uh. You know, my one of my roles is to serve pastors and help them in difficult times, encourage them, provide resources for them, uh, do whatever I can do to help pastors be more effective in leading churches to fulfill the cause of Christ. And so, I, I welcome you to Southeast Kansas Baptist Association, and uh, glad to work with you uh, this uh, next fall. Your church will be hosting the annual meeting for our association. And so pastors and, and church members from across those 10 counties will be gathering here, and many of you will get a chance to be a part of that and, and, and helping on that day and get to meet some wonderful folks. You know, I have been uh, Director of Missions here now uh, working on my 14th year, and uh, we have the finest group of pastors that we've had in, in the 14 years that I've been here. You know, God's brought some great men to our area, and God's doing some really wonderful things. And, uh, you know, you're right you know, right at this moment, we have, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to do a new church start in Fredonia, Kansas, and uh, a man out of the Severy Baptist Church has felt God's call to be a church planter there, and we're working to help them. Uh, we've got... Uh, Fairly recent church plants uh, underway in Arma in North Pittsburgh. And another one is uh, also starting in North Pittsburgh this spring. And, uh, you know, God's doing some some good stuff. And it's exciting to see what God is doing among us. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I do is try and help churches stay focused on the main thing. You know, God's called us and given us a purpose, you know, to go into all the world and make disciples, right? We, we have a mission, right? You know, a clear mission to go into the world and make disciples. And uh, we're going to be preaching this morning out of John chapter 4 in the story of the woman at the well. we we'll to start at the beginning of John chapter 4. And it says, the uh, Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, before we go into Father, I just want to stop and kind of set the framework for what we're going to look at this morning. You know, it says in this passage that he had to go through Samaria. You know, he was going to leave Judea and go to Galilee. And, uh, you know, to help with your geography this morning, I'll, 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 I'll try to do this the way that you can see. But, you know, if you can visualize in your mind, you know, a map of Israel, you know, Judea, Jerusalem, we're down in the southern part. Galilee was up in the north part. You know, over on the west side was the Mediterranean Sea. And and down the right side, or the east side, was the Jordan River. Now, the direct route, you know, to go from Jerusalem up into Galilee was just to go straight north. But at that time, there was an area in between Judea and Galilee called Samaria. Samaria. And, you know, it's called Samaria because that's where Samaritans lived. And Samaritans were a group of mixed-race people. They were Jews who had married into other races. And uh, other Jews looked at them as people who had violated the covenant of God, who had forsaken God, who had become an unclean people, and people they didn't want to associate with. I mean, they, they, they despised them. They looked down upon them. They didn't want anything to do with them. I mean, they, they, were, they considered them the lowest of the low. They considered them the scum of the earth. And so the normal practice for a Jew going from Judea to Galilee wasn't to go the short route straight north. It was to go east, cross the Jordan River, go up the other side of the Jordan River, and then cut back across and go in area of Galilee now doing it that way would add approximately 20 miles to the trip now that may not seem like much but they're walking you know so if you're walking that trip an extra 20 miles means you're talking an extra six to seven hours to make the journey but they were every Jew was willing to do it because that meant they didn't have to walk through Samaria And that was just the normal way that the Jews made that journey. But that day, Jesus and his disciples left Judea, the area around Jerusalem. And Jesus just headed straight north through Samaria. And it says he had to go through Samaria. and that wasn't geographically necessary. That wasn't the way other people did it. But Jesus had to do it that way because he had a divine appointment in Samaria. He had to go that way because it was Heavenly Father's will that he go that way because there's a group of folks that are open to giving their heart to Jesus. And there's also some things that Jesus' disciples need to learn that they hadn't learned yet. You know, there's a lesson they need to learn that they were having a hard time getting. And so I can just imagine that as they... Left, you know, if they possibly left Jerusalem, wherever it was there in Judea they left from, I can just imagine that when they headed straight north and didn't take that road towards the Jordan River, you know, I suspect that the disciples in the back, you know, if you could have kind of snuck in behind them, you would hear them starting to grumble. You know, they're probably whispering in the back of the line, going, Where in the world is he taking us? Doesn't he know what's down this road? this doesn't look good <laughs> you know, they, they didn't want to go that way they didn't want to be there but of course you know, they were following Jesus and you, know, it's, you, know, you, you can tell from various other passages of scripture that there are times when there was grumbling among the disciples in the back of the line you know, there are times when Jesus was doing things that they didn't understand and they would kind of grumble in the back and I suspect there's grumbling in the back as they headed through Samaria and they, they traveled for a while and they came to this well Jacob's well and it was about noon it was the hot part of the day Jesus sat down at the well and the disciples left him there and they went into the town of Sychar to try and find some food well it goes on to say uh you know Jesus there at the well says when a Samaritan woman came to draw water Jesus said to her will you give me a drink his disciples had gone to the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to them, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So as the woman comes to the well, Jesus strikes up a spiritual conversation with her. He begins to talk about living water. And when Jesus spoke to her first, you know you know the woman was shocked, you know because first of all, you know you know men didn't talk to women that they didn't know in public. I mean, that was a cultural no-no, and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans, and that was a cultural no-no, and And Jewish men sure didn't talk to Samaritan women. Plus, you know Jews wouldn't eat with Samaritans. You know, and so Jesus was asking this woman to draw water in her bucket and give him a drink, and and Jews just most Jews just wouldn't have done that. And she just kind of shocked by the whole affair. And the spiritual conversation springs up about living water and about worship. When drop down to verse twenty five it says, The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he explained everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You know, if you read through the New Testament, there's not many times during Jesus' earthly ministry where he just came out and just plainly said, I'm the Messiah. But for this Samaritan woman here, he told her just straight up, I'm the Messiah. And she believed him. And, you know, in this conversation, some things had happened. You see, you know, as as this conversation sprang up, Jesus had said to this woman, go get your husband. She said, well, I don't have one. And remember, Jesus said, yeah, that's right. You've had five husbands. And the man you have now isn't your husband. (laughs) Because Jesus knew her heart. Now, I mean, all this tells us a little bit about kind of the social position that this woman was in. You know, on that day, uh, you know, a woman couldn't divorce a man. But a man could write a certificate of divorcement and send a woman away. So this woman had been married five times, and five times the guy she was married to wrote her a certificate of divorcement and sent her down the road and says, I don't want you here anymore. She had been cast aside five times. And finally, evidently, she just kind of given up on the whole thing. And she was living with the guy. But Jesus cared about her. And Jesus loved her. Now, in her own community, she may have been a social reject. I mean, you know, it was... uh, common practice in that day that the women who drew water you know they came in bunches you know women didn't travel by themselves they came in bunches and they drew the water in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening you know you didn't go right at noon in a hot part of the world to go draw water you did it in the morning when it's cool or you did it in the evening but if you did it in the morning or you did it in the evening that's when all the other women there were there and and probably you know she in the middle of the day so she didn't have to be there when the other women were there and listen to the snide remarks and the scornful looks that she probably got from the other women. That day she recognized who Jesus was and she had a heart to know the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And when it dawns on her who Jesus is, she's so excited. And, you know, she's got to go back and tell everybody about it. So to read on down in verse 27, it says, then, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, I want you to think about the logistics of all of this. You know, Jesus has been waiting at the well. And the woman comes. They engage in this conversation. And the disciples return with food. And as they're approaching Jesus, they see that he's talking to this woman. And about the time they arrive, the woman takes off. And the disciples start, you know, they're wondering, you know, what was he doing talking to this Samaritan woman? You know, and be, you know, the, this conversation breaks, you know, starts up with Jesus. Now, in the meantime, you know, and I want you to think about this too. You know, when they arrived at the well, the disciples left to go in town to get food. While the disciples were on that journey, the woman was coming to the well to draw water the chances are pretty good they passed one another on the road. And wouldn't that make sense? You know, one's coming out from town, the other one's going into town. Probably they passed on the road somewhere. But when they passed on the road, the disciples would have pretended they didn't see her. They'd have moved to the other side of the road and passed as far from her as they could because they saw her as someone... To be avoided. So now the woman has gone into town. She's told everybody about this person she's met. Could this be the Messiah? And she's so excited about it. I mean, can you imagine this? You know, here probably a social reject. She runs into town. She's so excited about it. She's so enthused about this this Jesus that she just met that everybody in town is willing to come see, and a whole bunch of the town folks start coming down the road to the well. And Jesus talking to his disciples about, about uh, you know, I have food, it's doing the will of God. And then he says to them, lift up your eyes and look. He said, the fields are widened to harvest. And, and I can just picture the scene, Jesus will say, you know, lift up your eyes. Come on, guys, lift up your eyes and look. And coming down that road was all of those Samaritans from the town of Sychar. And Jesus saying, lift up your eyes and look. Look at those people right there. Those Samaritans from Sychar, the fields are white under harvest. See, when Jesus saw them coming, he saw a white harvest field. He saw people with hungry hearts to know him. When the disciples lifted their eyes and looked, what they saw was a bunch of those scummy Samaritans that they didn't want to associate with. They felt like were rejected by God. People that God didn't want and God didn't care about people they should stay away from, people that would make them unclean if they hung out with them. You see, what the disciples saw when they looked was completely different than what Jesus saw. Jesus saw fields, why didn't harvest? You know, he had a hard time getting his disciples to see it. I want you to understand, they really struggled with that. They really struggled with the idea that God could care. You know, that that Jesus came for Samaritans too. And they really struggled with with Jesus came for Gentiles too. I mean, that was hard for them. I mean, to get Peter to see it, remember, you know, he had to have a, a vision from heaven before he started to get it. And he was so slow to get it, You know, God had to give him the vision three times. You know, once wasn't enough. He had to give him the vision three times so he'd begin to understand that the gospel was for everybody. And then when you read in the book of Acts, you know, in helping the other Jewish Christians get it, you know, the story was retold three times so that they would get it. And the truth is, we still struggle with getting it, that the gospel is for everybody. I mean, in theory, you know, we understand that, but in practice, it's a lot harder to live in a way that that lives out the truth that the gospel is for everybody. This idea of the fields being white unto harvest, you know, that was the thing that, that Jesus visited many times. Well, if you go back, uh, back to Luke, in chapter 10, starting verse 1, it says, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. So here, as he appoints 72 to go out and, and and speak to people about the gospel, he just tells them look, guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the labor few, there's not enough people doing this thing of telling people about me. And he says, Here's what I want you I want you to ask the Lord of the harvest. I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send more laborers into the field. We find a similar thought, different time, different place... in the book of Matthew... right at the end of chapter 9, starting verse 35... chapter 9, verse 35, it says... Jesus went through all the towns and villages... teaching in their synagogues... preaching the good news of the kingdom... and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them... because they were harassed and helpless... Like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, repeatedly, Jesus said this thing, You know, the harvest fields, you know, the fields are wide into harvest, but there's not enough folks in the field. We don't have enough folks harvesting in the field. And he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, send more laborers into the harvest field. He says, pray that God will send more people into the field. Now, I was a pastor for about 32 years before I became a director of missions. You know, started off in Missouri, then pastored in Kansas, and pastored in Oklahoma. Now, 32 years, that's a lot of Wednesday night prayer meetings. Right? Y'all have been to some Wednesday night prayer meetings before? That's a lot of Wednesday night prayer meetings in 32 years. So listen to me, in those Wednesday night prayer meetings, you know, we'd have prayer times and prayer requests, and uh, you know, we've prayed for every body part known to man. Isn't that right? You know, sister, so-and-so fell and broke her hip. You know, so-and-so, you know, they're, they're having, you know, gallbladder surgery, and so-and-so broke their arm, and You know, and and on and on and on, and we should. But, you know, in 32 years, not one time to ever have a person say, you know, Pastor, let's pray, let's ask God to send more laborers into the harvest field. You know, the harvest fields are big, and we don't have enough people out in the field. Pastor, let's pray that God will send more laborers into the field. i don't remember anybody asking for that one single time 32 years and yet jesus told us to pray for that didn't he he says ask the lord of the harvest send more laborers in the field you know and for all practical purposes we haven't done it we haven't been asking god to send more laborers in the harvest field like we should even though Jesus instructed us to. And, you know, I've, you know, my roots are pretty country. You know, when uh, I was uh, six years old, we my grandmother moved into town and we moved out on the farm. And, and dad began to run a few cows and he began to farm. and 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 so from a pretty early age, you know, I was, you know, taking care of cows and running farm equipment and things like that. And, you know, growing up on a farm, there's things that you learn. You know, any of you know what this thing called chores is? (laughs) Y'all understand what chores are? You know, when you grow up on a farm, there's chores, right? Y'all understand what that is, yeah. And, And as a boy growing up, you know, if you were given chores to do, you know, it was a pretty good idea to do them. You know, because bad stuff happened if you didn't do your chores. You know, that didn't go well. You'd get a lot in trouble, you know, a lot of trouble not doing your chores. And your chore load could get increased if you weren't doing your chores. <laughs> but, you know, we, there was also this other thing called the work in the field. And the chores and the work in the field were not the same thing. And I can remember, you know, we had crops in the field when the fields were quite into harvest, when it was time to gather the crops, you know, that was, you know, everything else is on hold. We had this priority, is get the crops out of the field. You know, and it didn't matter how uncomfortable it was doing it. It didn't matter if you lost sleep doing it because the priority was you had to get the crop out. You know, everything depended on you getting the crop out of the field. So if you're trying to get soybeans cut and you've had a wet fall and it's been too muddy to get in the field, you know, you wait for those nights when it's cold enough to freeze the ground solid, then you'd cut all night. You'd cut every moment you could cut until the crop was in the barn. Because, see, the thing is, you know, as a farmer, you know, if you don't do the work in the field, you lose the farm. You, know, you got to get the crop in, or you're going to lose the farm. And so, getting the crop in, you know, taking care of a harvest, that was a priority. Well, everything depended on the harvest. Now, listen to me, folks. Everything we do inside the walls of our church buildings. Folks, it's the chores. And chores are important. But the chores and the work in the field is not the same thing. And if we faithfully do our chores, but we do not do the work in the field, the day will come when we lose the farm. I've helped several churches to close since I've been a director of missions. And you can look at a lot of different reasons why churches ended up closing, but you can generally boil it down to one thing. And at some point along the way, they quit doing the work in the field and they only did the chores. There came a day when all that mattered was, was just taking care of stuff that goes on here in the building, and they quit worrying about the field. And when you don't do the work in the field, you end up losing the farm. God has called us to the field. You know to, make, go, you know, to make disciples in all nations. You know, God's put us in the disciple-making business. We're to take the gospel of Christ to the world. Now, one way I like to think about it is, you know, it's one thing, and I think it's what a lot of churches do, you know, you, you, you can kind of stand at the doorway of the church, and you look inside at all the chairs, And thank you. I mean, you can thank God. How could we fill all these chairs? I want you to understand that that is totally inadequate. We should be standing at the door of our church looking outside saying, God, how do we reach all these people? You know, the task is not measured by how many are or are not in the building. The task is measured in terms of how many people are outside that don't yet know Jesus. That's the size of the task. You know, and, and church is not about us being comfortable or, or our needs being met or, you know, uh, liking the things that go on. You know, it, it's about, you know, how do we prepare and strategize to work together to take the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus, and we can do all the other stuff. If we don't do that. We failed. If we don't do that, we've been disobedient. If we don't do that, we've lost sight of the mission that Jesus gave us. You know, Jesus said, "You know, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost." And He says, "As the Father has sent me, even so send I you." We're ambassadors for Christ. We've been given a a singular mission to take Christ to the world. And whatever that takes and whatever that may cost is what we need to do. We should be willing to sacrifice our preferences for that to happen, we should be willing to sacrifice our comfort. To see that that happens, we should be willing to sacrifice our finances to see that that happens because that is the only thing that really matters. Because ultimately, you know, this life is short, you know, and the older I get, the shorter it seems. And one day we'll be accountable before God. And the one who has Jesus has life. And the one who doesn't have Jesus doesn't have life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. That's pretty straight and plain, isn't it? You know, and, and life is sliding past at such a rapid rate. You know, I mean, I look at Todd here. I mean, last time I saw Todd, there was none of that silver stuff starting to show around the edges. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know where that came from, but it's creeping up on him. I've been told, you know that, that you know, uh, the kids do that. I, you know, whatever it is, it happened to me too, and you know, it's short, but eternity isn't. And the most important thing in the world is that a person know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. The thing that matters is that people know Jesus because one day we'll stand before him and the only difference between heaven and hell is a relationship with Jesus and we need him you know we don't need to go to church so we can be good we need to know Jesus so we can go to heaven instead of hell we know Jesus so our sins can be forgiven. So we can have a new life in Christ. And We have a new hope. And a new future. Because eternity is forever. As you begin, you know, this new phase of the church life with Todd as your new pastor. You know, just let me take a big, wild guess that somewhere down the road, Todd's going to want to change something. You know, he's going to feel the leadership of God to change some things. And he's going to want to do some things that will help be about the business of fulfilling the mission of taking Christ to the world. You know, when those changes come about, You know, are we willing to accept? Are we willing to sacrifice so that others can be saved? And just, you know, I said, I've been a pastor a long time. I've never once in all the years ever said, you know, this is the kind of music I prefer in worship. You know why? Because what I like is absolutely irrelevant. And let me also tell you what you like in music is also irrelevant. What God wants to do to be more effective in reaching lost people for Jesus, that's what matters. How much you're willing to sacrifice to see your neighbor come to know Jesus. How much are you're willing to sacrifice to see your grandchildren come to know Jesus? Or your great grandchildren? What would you sacrifice to know that your grandchildren are going to give their heart to Jesus? See, that's all that really matters. You know, one day, you know, Somebody will be preaching your funeral. And the thing that will really matter, you know, that day will be if they can say, you know, I know that this person trusted Jesus and they lived for him. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he's okay today. Or she's okay today because they knew Jesus. One day it'll be me. be you maybe your kids or your grandkids and the only thing that gives that day hope instead of sorrow is knowing Jesus let's bow our heads for a prayer Father we thank you for loving us the way that you do God, you're so gracious and so forgiving. God, help us to be about your business. Help us to be about the business of sharing the truth of your son Jesus with the world around us. May your spirit empower us and encourage us and lead us. to Tell others about you for your kingdom's sake this we ask in jesus name amen as we stand for the invitation time you know i you know as i I shared in this message you know disciples had a hard time seeing what jesus saw and you know there were uh you know if we're honest about it in our life you know you know there's some people that we see that we're not real anxious to go be with to share jesus You know, sometimes, you know, it's said there that Jesus saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion. He saw them as harassed and helpless as sheep without a shepherd. You know, what do we see when we see the crowds? You know, what do you see when you're at Walmart and it's Christmas time and only two registers are open? And they're stacked up, you know, 15 deep at both registers. Do you look at the crowds and your heart is moved with compassion? and you see them as harassed and helpless as sheep without a shepherd or do you see them as folks that are just in your way you know just as an inconvenience you know how many times we see other people and we see the crowds as an inconvenience to us when in fact we ought to see see what Jesus sees as folks who are harassed and helpless as sheep without a shepherd People that need to know Jesus. Listen as God speaks to your heart this morning. Maybe you're that person who has not yet trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You could choose today to follow Jesus. The scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or maybe God's put on your heart this morning somebody you know, somebody you work with. Maybe a son or a grandson or niece or nephew that you, suddenly God has just put a great burden on your heart for them. You could use this opportunity this morning come down and just pray for them. Ask God to give you the opportunities and the wisdom on how to share Jesus with them. Listen as God speaks to your heart. Today have this time of invitation.